We are past the halfway mark of this year, still in lockdown. And what first appeared to be a short-term measure has evolved into a long-term disruption that is affecting the world and our lives in drastic ways. My message this morning comes from the life of Paul as he experiences a shipwreck on his way to Rome. Paul experienced a shipwreck. You and I are experiencing a COVID-19 wreck. This pandemic, this storm has wrecked economies, jobs, health, lives, marriages, and it is not over yet. If we are not careful, if we take our eyes off Jesus and his word, this storm could destroy not only our material positions, but our spiritual drive and commitment. That is the plan of Satan in every storm in our lives. This is not the first storm that Paul experienced, but it is the only one that is recorded in detail. We are looking at it today because it has a physical component. It really happened. Paul experienced it. And it also has a spiritual component, lessons we can take from it. Our lives can be compared to a journey in which we encounter many storms, of which this COVID-19 storm is possibly one of the greatest many have encountered. You find Paul's story in the last two chapters of Acts, chapters 27 and 28. I encourage you to spend time today or this week reading these chapters. I will be preaching on this subject today and next Sunday. We'll be looking at lessons from Paul's wreck that we can apply to our lives during stormy times, and in particular, the storm we are in right now. Today, we will also be taking communion at the end of this service So please keep your juice and your bread ready. Let's go to Acts chapter 27. Here's some background to this chapter. After Paul's third missionary journey, he came to Jerusalem. There, some Jews from Asia accused Paul of rebellion against Moses, and they tried to kill him. The Romans uh, intervened and, and stopped the Jews from killing Paul. And then they took Paul and kept him as a prisoner to try him to find out why they were so against him. What crimes had he committed that caused people to want to kill him? Well, Paul went before the religious leaders to give an account of what he did and what he believed. But that accomplished little. That night, while in prison, Jesus appears to Paul and tells him he will testify of the gospel in Rome, just as he had testified in Jerusalem. When the Romans find out about a plot by some Jews to kill Paul, he is transferred from Jerusalem to Caesarea, where he is kept as a Roman prisoner awaiting trial. He is kept in prison For two years. And then they decide to take him to Caesar. In fact, Paul, when he saw that these Jews were bent on killing him, he appealed 
to Caesar. He wants to be judged by Caesar. And this brings us to chapter 27, when it was decided that he should go to Rome. Let's read chapter 27. I'm reading from verses 1 to 6. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adramitium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed in Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. When the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board that ship. Now, listen, even though Paul is traveling as a prisoner, he had favor from the Romans. First, he's not traveling alone. He was allowed traveling companions. Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, is with him. Notice that Luke says, we put out to sea. In other words, he was together with Paul. So this account is Luke's first-hand experience as he travels with the Apostle Paul and is a witness to all that happened in this journey. Another disciple, Aristarchus, is also traveling with Paul. He had traveled with Paul before into Asia, and we read about that in Acts chapters 19 and 20. No doubt, it was great comfort for Paul to have these two friends with him. It was great value that they were not ashamed of the fact that he is a prisoner, but they were willing to take risks and expose themselves to danger for the sake of accompanying him to Rome. And listen, if at all possible, don't go through storms alone. Don't do life alone. That is why the Lord put us in families, families in the flesh and families in the faith. So we can do life together. And when storms come, we can support, we can encourage, we can comfort one another. Another sign of favor is that Paul was treated with kindness by the Roman centurion in charge of him. A centurion in the Roman army was a commander of a hundred soldiers. We don't know anything about this Julius guy. Was he a believer? Had he heard of Paul before? We don't know. Yet we read that he treated Paul kindly. At the first port they stopped, he even lets Paul go out and visit his friends. This took extreme trust from Julius towards Paul. Because according to Roman law, if a soldier lost a prisoner, whatever punishment was due to that prisoner would befall the soldier. And so Julius could potentially lose his life if Paul had not returned back to the ship. Anyway, from Sidon, 
they traveled to Myra along the coast. Notice, if you read this passage as you read on, there's a lot of difficulty involved in this journey. It says in verse 4 that the winds were contrary. Things were not going well from the beginning. As we read further in the chapter, we will find out that they were sailing round about the month of October. That was and still is a terrible time to be at sea in the Mediterranean. Winter is approaching and storms and hurricanes are common. At Myra, they changed ships and they board a grain cargo ship from Egypt, which was on the way to Italy, a large ship. Let's continue reading now, Acts 27, from verses 7 to 12. I'll make some comments in between. Verse 7. When we had sailed slowly for many days, see, they struggling, and arrived with difficulty off Pnidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Creed of Salmon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lasea. Notice the mention of difficulty and, and the fact that the winds were not in their favor. When you take time to read this chapter, look up a map of Paul's journey to Rome and, and keep it in front of you as you read this chapter. Maybe you have such a map at the back of your Bible. Or maybe you can Google one. Read and then follow the course on the map. It will help you to, to see the story clearly as it evolves. Verse 9. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over. Notice that fast was already over. Paul advised them saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman or the captain and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening towards the southwest and northwest, and winter there. So, sailing was dangerous. Why? That fast mentioned in verse 9 referred to the Day of Atonement, which happened early in October. From October, it was considered unwise to sail in the Mediterranean. And ships would often stop wherever they were and spend winter there. Now, Paul had traveled before in these waters. And so he offers his advice. He does not speak prophetically here. It's just common sense and advises them to stay there, not to move on. But the centurion was persuaded by the captain of the ship and the owners and the crew to sail on to Phoenix, another harbor only about 80 kilometers away. It was more suitable to spend winter in there. There was more to do there. It wasn't as boring as this little town which they were in right now. Uh, you see, the sailors, 
They were looking more after their own comfort and convenience. They want to be in a place where they can have some fun while they're spending winter. And this place they were in was too small for that. And so they based their decision on what made them comfortable. As you continue reading, we find out that they never made it to Phoenix. Verses 13 to 15. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close to Crete. (laughs) But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called the Eurocliden. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. The wind blew softly one day. And the sailors thought, hey, here's our chance. We can quickly get put out to sea and make it to the next port. They started sailing close to the coast. But suddenly, a storm hit them and drove them out to high sea and away from their course. As we read on, we find that they began to take measures to withstand the storm. Verses 16 to 26. And running under the shelter of an island called Cloda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. Skiff was like a, a safety boat that they had, which was towed behind the main ship. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground again on Sartus sands, they struck sail and were so driven. That small island of Cloda gave them some protection from the stormy winds. And so they took in the lifeboat, they put it in the ship, which that normally was towed behind the ship. And then the ship was made of wood. And so they ran ropes around the ship. Imagine like you, you, you're wrapping the, the ship in ropes. It's a technique they use in those days to kind of keep the timbers together as the ship was tossed about in the waves. Verse 18, and because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. They made the ship lighter. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Listen, here are two things which storms do to our lives. Number one, they remove our comfort zone. We like our comfort. We like to be in charge. We like to be in control. We like change, but only (laughs) if we initiate it. When it is imposed on us, we don't like it at all, right? (laughs) These sailors, they wanted a comfort, and they went against Paul's better judgment. Paul was no sailor, but he had traveling experience on those seas, and he had been shipwrecked three times before. (laughs) You read about that in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 11, verse 25. Now, this storm comes and takes them away from their planned comfort zone. Phoenix. Listen, for many, if not all of us, this present global storm has taken us out of our comfort zones. It is not business as usual. Change has been imposed on us and we don't like it, but we have to embrace it. The second thing that storms do to our lives is this. They change our values. 
Notice they begin to lighten the ship. That means whatever could be thrown overboard, they threw overboard. They were afraid they might be running into the sandbanks near the north of Africa. And so they make the ship lighter. They had no compass, no GPS back then. They used the stars to guide them. But they had no sun or no stars, nothing for days. They were in total darkness. So they have no idea where they are, where they are going. So they assumed they were heading towards the north of Africa. And so they threw the tackle overboard. In other words, every piece of loose furniture on that boat went overboard. Later we read that they threw the grain that they were carrying overboard as well. This is a merchant ship. It's a grain ship. They were going to be paid in Italy for that grain. They were carrying that grain to Italy, and then they were going to make their money out of that grain. And yet, they are throwing it overboard. When life and livelihood is on the line, you find out what really matters. When you're looking for peace, for survival, then suddenly you find you can live with a lot less than you thought. Storms change our values. That is what many people are discovering in this present storm. And and by the way, before we carry on, note that Paul was in the center of God's will. This is important. The Lord Jesus himself had told Paul that he would go to Rome. So it's not a matter of Paul being disobedient and trying to run away from God's will like Jonah of old. And then you got punished, Jonah, with a storm and had to get him back. No, no, it's, it's not God's punishment. This is happening to a man and a bunch of people that were in God's will. Paul and his friends, they were doing God's will. <laughs> Listen, child of God, understand this. Very important. Just because you are doing God's will to the best of your knowledge and ability is no guarantee that you will not have storms in life. Huh? Don't think, oh, it's not fair. I love the Lord. I go to church. I tithe. I give. I'm this and that. And now this is happening to me. Listen, storms happen to everybody. You can be in the center of God's will and yet experience major storms and major shipwrecks in your life. However, For the child of God, and this is good news, we know we are not alone in the storm. We know that God is with us in the storm. And we know that he will carry us through the storm. We know that God can use us in the storm for his glory and to be a blessing to others. There is the potential, listen, there is the potential for growth during storms during difficult times in our lives. As it is written in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Notice, there ain't going to be one trial. There's going to be many various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience Have its perfect work that you may be perfect. In other words, mature and complete, lacking nothing. You see, storms, they bring out the best 
and the worst in people. Storms will bring out the best in you or the worst in you. Do you want to see what a man or a woman is like? Watch them in a storm. Observe yourself during trials. How are you doing? If we are open to the Holy Spirit and invite him to search us and speak to us, storms will bring out areas in our lives that need attention. If we humbly accept the work of God in our lives, we will be transformed to be more and more like Jesus. We will grow in character and in faith. As James says, we will be complete. Now, Paul had been through some shipwrecks, and I'm sure that his faith and character were shaped by them. Now, in this storm, Paul rises to the occasion. Let's continue reading verse 20. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Wow. Notice this. These experienced sailors now have no hope. They're looking around at the storm around them. They know about storms. They know about seas. And they give up hope. They say, that's it. We've gone too far. No hope. Listen, storms can do that to us. Beware of becoming hopeless in the storm. For the child of God, there is always hope. Amen? Hallelujah. Verse 21. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Observe Paul in the storm. By now, it's bringing the best out of him. He rises to the occasion. The prisoner is now the one bringing hope, the one taking charge. The opening words of Paul, it's not a kind of a, I told you so. No, no, no. It is more a statement to remind him that he knew what he was talking about a few days ago at Fair Havens when he warned them not to sail. But then he encourages them. Nobody had been eating. They were too busy just trying to, to survive and keep that boat afloat. <laughs> Plus, I'm sure that a boat rocking in the storm 
was more conducive to food coming out than food going in, if you know what I mean. They had given up all hope. Yet Paul tells them to cheer up. No one is going to die, but the ship will be lost. He tells them why he speaks with such confidence. He had heard from God. In the middle of the storm, Paul was communing with God. And as a result, an angel was sent to him to bring a message. Remember that angels are one of the ways in which God communicates with us. The angel confirmed that Paul would go to Rome and all that were with him would go to Rome with him. Listen, are you communing with God during this present storm? Awaken Life Church, are you watching the services regularly? Are you having your personal quiet time reading the word of God, praying, edifying yourselves? Are you listening to him? In the beginning of the lockdown, many churches like ourselves were forced to go online. It was something novel and many people started watching. Every week they were watching. Every week they were there. It was something novel. And many people started watching, not only their own churches, but other churches as well. But then suddenly, people discovered that there was so much to watch. There were churches and preachers from all over the place, all over the world. And it was fun to, to go around and, and, and see this one and, and that one until they started becoming tired of flicking and clicking through channels and watching church services and started getting careless about following their church or any other church for that matter. Statistics in the USA show that whereas in the beginning of lockdown, online church attendance increased, it soared, it then started declining. People are losing the rhythm of regular worship, of connecting online, of being part of their church in worship, word and prayer and participating. Awaken Life Church, I hope you will not be part of these statistics. Indicate that you are there by liking, sharing, subscribing, commenting. As you communicate with one another, ask each other, did you watch Sunday service? Why not? And if they haven't watched, encourage them to watch, to go back and, and catch up. Ask them, what blessed you? What ministered to you? You see, the swaying of the storm can allow us into neutrality, can allow us into complacence, into a que sera, sera kind of mindset where we become careless about our fellowship, our church, and our communion with God. Paul did not allow that. You must have helped the guys as well with, you know, helping around the ship, getting things out, keeping things together. But he also took time to commune with God and God was able to speak to him and enable him to bring a word of encouragement and direction to the others. Notice what Paul says. He says, he speaks about God, the God to whom I belong. There is belonging. Paul speaks about the God whom I serve. That is identity. He says that I believe God. That is security. On Father's Day, 
I spoke about the three needs that we all have. A sense of belonging, a sense of identity, and a sense of security. Paul had all three. And so he was well grounded in the middle of a storm on a ship being tossed at sea. Paul knew who he belonged to, to God, the creator of heaven and earth. Can you say that? Do you know to whom you belong? Have you given your life to him? If you have, you are his property and your problems become his responsibility. Paul knew his identity. He knew whom he served. His identity was in God. He served God. Paul was on this boat because he's on a mission from God. When you're on a mission from God, you are invincible until God is done with you in that mission. People might say about someone, oh, he died an untimely death. No, he died at the right time. You don't know that person's time. God knows that person's time. It is appointed for men once to die. You don't know that date. God does. You and I, we have a shelf life. We live in a fallen world where things don't always happen the way they should. But when you belong to God and you serve God, you will not go before you should go. Are you serving God? Have you made your life available to him to be used by him for his kingdom? Paul had a sense of security. He knew he could trust his God. If God said it, it will be as he said. He knew his God is a promise keeper. Where and whom do you trust? Where is your trust? In whom is your trust? Is it in God or is it in the systems of this world? God can be trusted. God does not change with the weather. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As we shall see next week, it happened exactly as Paul said it would, or rather, as God said it would. Child of God, take heart. You are in a storm. Maybe It is more than a COVID-19 storm. Maybe you have other circumstances that you are battling with in your life, struggling with. Maybe you are having to make changes in your life. Maybe you're being confronted with issues in your life which have surfaced because of this storm. And maybe because all of this, you might think you are a failure as a Christian or as a person. Reject that thought. Paul was in God's perfect will. And everything that could go wrong went wrong. But because he was well grounded, well anchored, the events that came about because of the storm brought glory to God and taught many lessons to all those involved. Everyone came out of that storm a different person. So stop blaming yourself or blaming the storm or blaming something else. Get grounded. Who do you belong to? Who do you serve? Who gives you security? 
We will continue this study next week. Go ahead and read the rest of chapter 27 and chapter 28 of Acts before next Sunday. Let the Lord speak to you in the storm. Be available to him to bring hope and encouragement to those around you. Let us close the service now by having communion. And I just want to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup of the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. When you proclaim the Lord's death, you proclaim what was done and achieved by the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. We celebrate the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Today, I want you to remember that because of what Jesus did, you now can say with confidence, like the apostle Paul, that you belong to God. You can go ahead and say it with me. I belong to God. You can say that you serve God and that you trust God right in the middle of this storm. And you can say that you're confident that the Lord will take you to safety. Amen. We're going to pray. Get your bread and juice ready. We're going to pray and enjoy communion together. Take your bread. Father God, thank you for the bread, reminding us of the broken body of Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for everything that you suffered for us. And as we partake of this bread today, Lord, we speak a blessing over everyone partaking of it. We speak health and healing. We speak restoration. We speak strength over every life in Jesus' name. Amen. My brother, my sister, take and eat. Then Jesus took the cup. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for the fruit of the vine, reminding us of the blood of Jesus poured for us so that we today could say that we belong to you, that we are saved, that we have eternal life. Thank you, Father, for this blessing. And I pray that everyone partaking with me today, right now, Lord, will be able to say with confidence, I belong to Jesus. I belong to God. I know who I am. I have my identity. Be blessed as you partake of the cup now. Thank you, Jesus. You're going to close in prayer. I trust you've been blessed by the service, by the message, encouraged. Get the word out there. Be an encouragement to others as well. Father, thank you for this time together, Lord. I pray your blessing upon every individual, every home, watching, listening to this message. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your protection, Father. Keep us safe in you, Lord, 
until we meet again, Lord. And so now, may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each one in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and see you next Sunday.